thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala podcast. We're equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. I'm Michael Oxdam for, and today we're continuing our base camp series, but we're starting in a little bit of a different place. Every part of our Sunday morning worship gathering is designed to bring everybody together to meet God through His Spirit and His Word. This includes the children. We truly believe that God created them fully in His image, and we take great strides to include them in our gatherings. This week, Pastor Todd McQueen used a very familiar example to teach two young brothers about the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And he does a fantastic job of setting up where he's going to teach in Romans chapters 1 and 2. Jesus, Jesus is, is the, the, the good news. Okay, so who is the good news? Jesus. I can't hear you. Jesus. Okay. <laughs> good job, Grant. Now, here's the good news part. Have you, Camden, ever seen Riley get in trouble? Didn't see that one coming. Hey, Riley, have you ever seen Camden get in trouble? Yes. When his mom or dad, when your mom and dad gave him discipline or put him in timeout. Has Camden ever been in timeout? Yes. Oh, yes. He ran in timeout a million times because he keeps on beating me up. Okay, because he keeps beating you up. Okay. So, here's the good news. This is going to be crazy. Ian, you ready? If Camden were to get in trouble for beating up on Riley, would you take his timeout for him? No. Riley, if Camden were getting in trouble for beating you up, would you do the timeout for him so he could go play? No? Do you see where I'm going with this? Nobody wants to take your place in timeout. But here's the good news. God disciplines us. But guess who took our place in timeout? Who's it? God did? Specifically who? Remember the good news is? Jesus! Okay, so the good news is when it came time for timeout, when we should have gone in timeout, Jesus took that for us. Can you imagine that? No! That is crazy, isn't it? It's like Riley gets in trouble, and Miss Jesse says, Riley, you're in timeout. And Camden says, I'll do that for him. Said no kid ever. But Jesus said, hey, they're getting ready to go into timeout. I want to go into timeout for them. That is the good news. We don't have to go into timeout and suffer or to be disciplined or get in big time trouble from God because Jesus on the cross, yep. see that up there? Cross. That was his timeout. Cross. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Why? Because you deserved punishment for the sins and the things you've done wrong, Ian. And when Jesus took that spot on the cross, he said to his father, I'll take their punishment for him. I'll take Ian's punishment for him. Because therefore, you didn't have to. Crazy, isn't it? All right, so Jesus is the good news. So the good news is... Jesus! 
Why? Because they took our time out. I'm not sure if you could hear it, but as one little boy understood the analogy Pastor Todd was making, he asked the obvious question. Why would Jesus do that for us? While everyone deserves God's wrath, the good news is Jesus Christ. As we continue on, Pastor Todd's going to refer to an image of a massive shelter in our home state of Florida. And I want you to be aware that there are pictures of this in the episode description, as well as links to all the scripture references available for your easy access. So let's listen in again as Pastor Todd McQueen continues our base camp series with episode two, Gospel Shelter. Now, anybody recognize that thing up on the screen? It's in Pensacola, believe it or not. That $7 million beauty was made by an engineer who obviously had a steady income. And his previous house had been twice destroyed by a hurricane. So that beauty can withstand a 300-mile-an-hour wind, and it's in Pensacola. Now, I have only been in Florida for a short amount of time and haven't experienced a hurricane, so I would think that'd be good. I'd be all right not to need one of them bad boys. But that's, that particular home made it through Katrina because there are like 16 pylons for it, They go 17 foot into the ground, and there's five miles of rebar in the concrete because that is a solid concrete home. Now, this thing was shelter because when NBC showed up to cover Katrina, guess where they ended up? The second floor. The houses around it were destroyed, and by the way, the house is designed so when the tidal surge comes in, it rips the stairs that you see there away. So they had a little bit of remodeling after the the hurricane was through. But it made it through. NBC did all the reporting from the second story of that $7 million shelter on the beach during Hurricane Katrina. Pretty cool, isn't it? The only thing is when the hurricane was, after they came out in the storms, The water was up to the second floor, so they had nowhere to go. But anyhow, that is a shelter. That is a $7 million shelter in our own state up in Pensacola. So how in the world does this relate to us? Why do we need shelter? Protect us from the storm. You're absolutely right. Turn to Romans chapter 1. We'll start in verse 18. Wrath. Verse starting in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world 
in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Verse 24, Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, in verse 26, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves a due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, and malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So who in the world's God to judge me? I mean, you've heard that at work. Yeah. We're going to answer that question this morning. Romans 1.18, flip back a page right there. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Wrath. What in the world's wrath? God's long-building punitive outworking of his judgment because of his supreme righteousness and indignation to sin. He is like, God looks at sin and is like holding back the Hoover Dam. Jack is like standing in front of that 18-wheeler with 80,000 pounds, and there's a mouse there holding it back. God's slow to anger, but that wrath is rolling in. It's like a storm. It's been revealed. That which was private is now made public. And what is ungodliness? Ungodliness is not giving God his due respect and honor. Unrighteousness is failure to adhere to God's commands and laws. And the height of ungodliness is taking what you know to be truth and suppressing it, holding it down, lessing its intensity. No, God's really not going to spank you. He's not really wrathful. So God's long-building outpouring of judgment towards sin has been made public in the reading of his word today. God's utter disdain for sin is mostly in us not giving him the proper respect and just flat-out, outright disobedience to follow Jesus, as is revealed in the Bible. That's the oncoming storm. Now, how is truth suppressed? Romans 19 through 23 covers this. See, God has somehow made it clearly known to every person who's drawn a breath that he exists. Creation in and of itself. When you drove here this morning, there's enough evidence in the Ocala National Force on your way to work to give you evidence that God exists. 
Every single person driving here this morning has seen the evidence. Somehow God, one writer wrote, somehow God has stitched into the fabric of every human mind that he exists and is powerful. Through this evidence that everybody knows, they, in spite of that, choose not to honor God or give thanks to him. So therefore, since they know, since they understand they think they're wise in their own judgments. I know better than God. I'll re redefine the rules of this game. So their thinking is futile. Our hearts have been darkened because of this foolishness. Although we claim to be wise and we reject God, it's a fool's game. And how is this seen? When we exchange the immortal God and worship that which he's created. I know people who worship dogs more than marriage. The amount of money people will spend on vet bills today is higher than that which they'll spend on nearly everything else. People love their dogs. They will worship what God had created instead of the creator. And as Paul goes along, they'll start worshiping people, then they go to birds, then animals, then bugs. It goes do 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 So what does the judge do? Who's God to judge me? He's God. He's clearly evidenced himself to you this morning. He's got some wrath. We take the truth and suppress it. You're on his wrong side. So what is the judge going to do? He gives us up. Monsieur, you have to help me out here. I should have called you this week. When you give a judgment and you hand over the judgment to the bailiff, that's the idea. The judge says, guilty. Now go to whoever's the executioner, whatever you call that. Does he call it the judgment or handing down of the sentence? Okay, that's what he's doing. This is the handing down of the sentence. When God says, you're guilty, here's what you get. What? The first one is he gives you up to the lust of your heart. You think you know better? I'll just give you what you think you want. He gives them up to dishonorable passions, lesbianism, male homosexuality, to which they will receive the due penalty for their errors. Listen to me. When you worship God and set things according to what he says he has established in his creation, here's the way relationships work. When we think we know better, we redefine the rules, and we take that which God created in Eden, the marriage relationship, and flip it on its head. Paul says sexual sin is the height of dishonoring God. It's idolatry. Like, how are you, how are you idolatry? I will worship me and my desires more than God. And so he also then gives us up to a debased mind. So the first two are basically sexual. Now here's the part where everybody in the room, I don't know if anybody in here this morning is professing homosexual. We've had them, and I'm cool. I love, if, don't get me wrong. Hear me clear. We've had them sit here. And how do we, according to the Gospels, available to everyone, would love for them to be here. But this is part of God's truth. 
Not only does he hand the sentence over, you want to feel good? You want to be hedonistic? You want to feel what's all about you? It'll be most likely evidence in sexual sin. But get this. He gives him up, hands over the sentence to a debased mind. Evil, malice, envy, murder, strife, deceit, gossip, maliciousness, slander. Hold on a second. Every one of us sitting in this room this morning can check at least one of those boxes. You may not have slit somebody's throat, but Jesus teaches if you hate somebody, you've killed them. Now look at the picture. How many of you felt like the girl in the front? Two people talking behind your back, gossip and slander, and how bad does that hurt? You would rather somebody take a Louisville slugger to the shins. When somebody speaks evil of you, poorly of you, and you're not there to defend yourself, how bad does that hurt? So we may have been the victim of that, but somehow in the use of our words, do you see what Paul's doing here? We see the use of our hands and the use of our sex organs for ourselves. But how you use your mouth is in this category too. Let me just say, everybody in this room is, can check off a box on this list somewhere. Therefore, the storm is coming. Wrath is coming. The perfect judge will hand down this verdict. If you like slander, you like running your gibber like that, and you post passive-aggressively on Facebook all the time, hunting down for people to somehow feel good for you, that's part of your judgment. He's handing over that sentence to you. So we all know, we all know, we all intuitively know the lust of our hearts, the passion, and the mind are wrong. As individuals, we make up society. Hear me? Your society is made up as you as an individual. You live in a democracy. And your government says, this is good. We live in a society where individuals make it up that says, not only that which God says is wrong is good, but we'll endorse it. Do you see where it's been flipped on its head? Look at verse 32 in your Bibles. Not only do you do it, Paul says, but you say, good job to those who do. You pat them on the back. Wow, I love the way you slandered her. Good job. I love the way you share gossip. Good job. How do we do that? Well, you're sitting around on lunch break. You're at work, and somebody says, you're not going to believe what Robbie did last week. And you're like, oh, tell me. I can't wait to hear. We feast on that stuff. Not only do we say what God says is bad, we call it good, but we say, good job at it. And God's wrath is coming. So move with me to chapter 2. We'll start in verse 1. Who's God to judge me? He's the perfect judge. Chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on one another you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. 
we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourselves, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the richness of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because your heart, because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Verse 6. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. The glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. Therefore, in verse 1, since we are all guilty and the storm is rolling in, we have no excuse because of a creation itself when the perfect judge shows up to give us judgment. And get this, because we judge these very sins ourselves. We quickly judge slander when we speak poorly about the slanderer. We quickly judge a murderer as we sessionate their character. We judge materialism as we decide to work two jobs for more stuff and financial security while sacrificing our family. So let's pretend this morning, even if there's somebody here who says, I have never judged somebody for which I'm guilty of myself. Do you realize that even in judging, we validate God's role as judge? The perfect judge. Can we be guiltless before a perfectly righteous judge? So everyone deserves judgment, as each one of us has practiced sin, made it a habit. We're good at it. Anybody here this morning tell me that it's easier to live righteously or unrighteously? I am in really easy, good going. If I let the clutch out and just let it roll, yeah, Frank, you've been with me on the mountain bike trail. Uh-huh. So everyone can escape God's judgment. Everyone is guilty. We all want to presume upon God's kindness his forbearance and his patience. But while this storm is coming and is moving slowly, but we know that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Why is God taking so long to judge the world? Because he loves it. So everyone is stockpiling up our own judgment. We're stockpiling up because of our inherently hard and impenitent hearts. But God's wrath on each individual will come. When is that coming? The day of the Lord, the day of wrath. I don't have this to put in your calendar. Jack, God has kept his word completely from Genesis to now. We know the day of wrath is coming. His track record of doing what he says he will do is perfect. I will take it to the bank that God's going to judge someday with wrath. 
Just because it hasn't happened doesn't mean it won't. But there's a storm cloud brewing. So the storm hits in verse 6. The judgment rendered for each person is according to his work, deeds, and thoughts without partiality. God is able to judge the heart for motivation. Perfect judge knows well the motivation. And he's impartial without impartiality. Without partiality. God is the perfect judge. Now, when the judgment comes, everyone falls underneath this. To the followers of Jesus, the Jesus seekers, this is like, yay. God will judge me for my motives and what I did for my just rewards. He knows your heart. At this time, God, nobody's exempt from judgment. So when he comes and you stand before him, say, Ross, you follow me? Yes, so you don't get any wrath, but I'm going to judge you for your just rewards. Get it? There is dividends. Your spiritual 401k goes for eternity. Now, the perfect judge will say, Jack, I know your heart, and I know how you loved Christine. Good job, faithful servant. Those get eternal life, glory, honor, and peace as the reward. When that, okay, follow me? It's fair. The perfect judge of each follower of Jesus. Now, for the self-seekers, the ones who chose not to follow Jesus. For every self-seeker, the perfect judge, will they then will receive God's wrath. It's been stored up. You're guilty. For that, there is wrath, fury, tribulation, and distress. Does it sound like a good picnic? No. So what in the world's the answer? If everyone deserves it, and none of us are without excuse because God somehow in creation knitted in us into our fiber, into our minds, the ability to know that he exists and some of his attributes. We can know something about God. And if we're guilty of sin, many of us have probably sometime in our life said, I was good at that. Have you said, I rule myself. I am my own boss. If this doesn't cut to the heart of what it means to be a tax-paying American in the United States right now, I don't know what is. I am who I am. I rule myself. I am my own master. Doing so suppresses the truth of God. Doesn't give him thanks or his glory. And therefore, I am fully worthy of God's wrath. What a pep talk, huh? What's the answer to this? How can there be any good news at the end of this part in our sermon series? Have I gotten to you all there yet? That's what Paul does forever with these run-on sentences. How can there be any good news? 
Get this. If you paint the picture black enough, you turn out the lights dark enough, if you stand in the middle of the woods when it's dark enough, a little light will shine. To understand the grace afforded in Jesus Christ, understand how dark the circumstances are. If God is all loving and he'll never judge me, then why in the world do we need Jesus? Why do you need a cross? Paul paints for even more next week. He's going to paint this wrath picture. One writer said, one can grasp the greatness of God's salvation only when one understands the devastation it is to be a human. Until you fully realize how bad you got it, how much you deserve wrath, well, then you realize how great Jesus is, the gift of salvation in Jesus. The answer is the gospel. It's what we went over last week. Romans 1, 17, 16 through 17. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel or the good news. For it's God's power for salvation to everyone. I want everybody to say everyone. Ready? Does that include the homosexual and the lesbian? By the way, every answer to this will be yes. This is an easy exam. Is, it a for, is salvation available to the homosexual? Is it available to the murderer? Is it available to the slanderer? Is it available to you? Are you guilty? This is the good news. For all of us are guilty. And it's available to everyone. So, church, family, Grace Church of Ocala, if anybody, how should we interact with anybody that walks through that door, two males holding hands? What's available to them? Salvation. What happens if a big bearded guy walks in with tattoos? You say, hey, you're just like Patrick Todd, but he doesn't have the tattoos. Do you understand where I'm going? Because everyone sitting in these chairs this morning is guilty of God's wrath. And by God's grace, we get to share that information with other people. We do not stand on higher ground when we look to other people. Because this is where the righteousness of God is revealed. His power in creation is awesome. We know that. But his power in working in people's lives is through each one of you. Because that's where his righteousness is revealed. Then, therefore, how shall we live? The righteous shall live by While we're all guilty, God made a means of reconciling with us. So where in the world's the wrath? Is it true? God is love. Still the same answer. Yes. Is God wrathful? So where in the world does the wrath go? Right up here, fellas, ladies. I would like to say this morning... Yes, it was really tough for Jesus to be whipped and do all of that that he went through and be hung on the cross. But can you imagine from eternity past, the wrath of God was fully leveled on Jesus on the cross who didn't deserve it. But he said, I will take your time out. I couldn't imagine that wrath. 
But the good news is in Jesus because the wrath of the Father was poured out on Jesus. So when we go from self-seekers to Jesus-seekers, what is faith? Moving from a self-seeker, I rule my life, I'm large and in charge, to Jesus, I will follow you, I will seek after you and share the good news of you with my friends and neighbors and co-workers. That's the good news. See, while everyone deserves God's wrath, the good news is Jesus Christ. You have good news to share. By your mouth and by your hands, by your feet. Are you without shelter this morning? There is a storm cloud rolling in of God's wrath. It puts Hurricane Katrina to shame. Jesus is that shelter. He's better than a $7 million mansion on Pensacola Beach. Do you have shelter this morning? Or do you think, I got this? Answer the question this morning in your heart, in your mind. And if it's yes, or if it's no, please come and see us. Talk to the pastor this morning. If it's yes, I do have shelter in Jesus, then how do you apply the end of Romans 1.17? The righteous shall live by faith. Are you eager to share it? Do you have coworkers, friends, family, neighbors who have yet to know Jesus, who have no idea that a hurricane is coming and there's shelter available? Take your connection card this morning and write down two of those names that of your friends, coworkers who have yet to know Jesus, who live close to you or a family or whatever, and write that on your connection card so we can pray for you and go with you maybe to talk to them or to start praying through that process. Because it's awful, it's really neat this morning to end the sermon with, hey, by the way, you got shelter if you love Jesus. Go home and be happy. But if you knew that there was a hurricane rolling in and you owned that $7 billion mansion, Ross, and Tammy was out on the beach, where would you have her go? Right. When you go to work this week, there's somebody outside the shelter. Thanks again for listening. We hope you've been challenged, encouraged, and helped by God and His Word. If you want more information about Grace Church of Ocala or would like to get in contact with us, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org. And if we haven't met yet, we hope to talk with you soon.